السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء وسيد المرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن اهتدى بهديه واستنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله تعالى في كلامه المجيد والفرغان الحميد بعد أن أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وكونوا مع الصادقين وفي مقام آخر ويوم يعد الظالم على يديه يقول يا ليتني اتخذت مع الرسول سبيلا يا ويلتا ليتني لم أتخذ فلانا خليلا لقد أضلني عن الذكر بعد إذ جاءني وكان الشيطان للإنسان خذولا صدق الله المولان العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد There are many terms in the Arabic language used to refer to the concept of Islamic spirituality used to refer to the process one undergoes when attempting and trying to rectify his soul, what we call it as spiritual rectification. For instance, the most common to us is the word tazkiyah, which is, comes from the root zakka yuzakki, which means to purify something. And this is in reference to the Qur'anic ayah wherein Allah Ta'ala says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ That successful is he who has purified his soul. Another term is that of ihsan, which is in reference to the, the prophetic report in which the Prophet Muhammad wasallam was visited by Jibreel in the form of a human being and it was posed a number of questions. One of them being, Mal Ihsan? What is Ihsan? To which the Prophet wasallam replied, أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهِ فَإِن لَمْ تَكُنْ تَرَاهِ فَإِنَّهُ يَرَاكِ it is to worship Allah Ta'ala in such, a, in such a state, it is as though you can see him. And if that's not the case, then be cognizant of the fact that he can see you. This is what is known as ihsan. Another term to refer to the same concept is more of a formalized science known as tasawwuf, which is science of spiritual rectification or purification. But one less commonly used epithet to describe the same concept is what is known as suluk. Suluk comes from the Arabic word salaka yasluku, which means to travel. And in many ways, the process one undergoes when trying to spiritually rectify himself fulfills the analogy of a journey. Hence, the person who commits himself formally to this process and this path is called a salik or a traveler. And for anyone who has traveled before, we know that the purpose of travel is to get from a point where you're currently existing in to a point where you desire to be, a desired destination, right? And we know that, so the question naturally arises that, what is our destination? Allah Ta'ala poses this question in the Qur'an where he says, Where are you going? You know, we see many people in their lives that they spend idly by, not even aware of what their fundamental objective in this world is. What is their purpose in life? You ask them, what's, how's it going? What's your future plans? They say, I'm taking it one day at a time. 
Allah Ta'ala clearly points out what is the believer's objective, what is his goal, where is he traveling to? Where he says, that flee towards Allah Ta'ala. The image that is evoked when the Arabic word firar is used, it's more of an escape. Think about when, if you were to imagine a prisoner escaping from a high max security prison, and he's escaping from that prison, and he wants to get out, that sense of trepidation, that sense of anxiety that he feels, and the, his desire to be to in a safe place where he can live comfortably is what's fueling his, his, his running away, his fleeing. So that's the type of image that is evoked when we, are, when you, when we use the word firar in the Arabic language. So Allah Ta'ala says, فَفِرُّوا إِلَى اللَّهِ That escape towards Allah Ta'ala, escape from the shackles of this dunya in the direction of Allah Ta'ala. And we know sometimes that when a person wants, when we need to move an object or when a person needs to move, sometimes there needs to be an external force driving that movement, driving that journey. And there are many factors that impose themselves on a sadiq, on a person, a sadiq, a person who's traveling on the spiritual path that can serve as an impetus for his spiritual development and growth. And one such powerful factor a very powerful and effective factor is that of good company, of suhbah, what we call in Arabic as suhbah. Which brings us to the topic that we'll be discussing today, continuing with the book of the famous sage of the Islamic tradition, Abdullah bin al-Mubarak, rahimahullah, in his book, Kitab al-Zuhdi wal-Raqaiq. He brings a chapter entitled, He brings a chapter entitled Truthful Companions. And in this chapter, he discusses how the people you surround yourself with have, have an indelible impact on your spiritual growth and development. He brings a beautiful quotation of the famous companion of the Prophet وسلم, by the name of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala an. The statement goes as such. جليس الصدق خير من الوحدة والوحدة خير من جليس السوء Having a truthful companion is better than being alone. But being alone is better than having an evil companion. ومثل جليس الصدق مثل صاحب العتر A truthful companion is like someone with perfume. إن لم يحذك يعبقك من ريحه even if it does not overpower you, some of its scent will follow you. وَمَثَلُ جَلِيسِ السُّوءِ مَثَلُ الْقَيْنِ إِذَا لَمْ مِنْ رِيحِهِ That an evil companion is like a blacksmith. Even if he does not burn you, some of its smell will follow you. So let's try to understand what this, what this means. What is this trying to say? Let's break it down uh, part by part, inshallah. The first part, which is, جَرِيسُ الصِّدْقِ خَيْرٌ مِّنَ الْوَحْدَةِ Having a truthful companion is better than being alone. So why is that the case? Why is having a truthful companion better than being alone? The reason being is that there's a tremendous amount of spiritual energy that is imparted when a person comes in contact with an environment where he's surrounded by good people. Allah Ta'ala attest to this fact in the Holy Quran 
when he says he provides various instructions in the Quran and in various verses in the Quran he brings the call of taqwa to the believers ya ayyuhalladhina amanu taqullaha o believers bring this taqwa inculcate this taqwa the quality of taqwa within yourselves and oftentimes it it is conjoined with a secondary commandment and the mufassirun have understood that the second commandment which is followed by the commandment of taqwa is used is can facilitate the fulfillment of the first commandment now what what do i mean by that in one verse allah ta'ala says in the quran ya ayyuhalladhina amanu taqullaha wa qulu qawlan sadida that oh you who believe have taqwa in allah and utter good speech so the mufassirun have looked at this verse and they have said that one of the things that can help one a person bring taqwa within his life is that he observes and he is cognizant of what he says what he says how he says it and to whom he says it and these things impact the spiritual development particularly that of taqwa within a person in a like manner allah ta'ala says in surah at-tawbah ya ayyuhalladhina amanu taqullaha wa kunu ma'as sadiqin O you who believe, have taqwa in Allah and be with the truthful. He didn't say learn from the truthful. He didn't say study with the truthful. He didn't say serve the truthful. He said be with the truthful. Be in their company. Because even in that company that you spend with people of righteousness, the people of sidq, of truth, of people of piety, there will be a spiritual transfer that will take place that will impact a person, that will serve as an impetus for his own spiritual growth. And it goes back to this statement of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu ta'ala an, because he compares the the a person a good company to that of a, of a person a person near fragrance of itr right we know that if we go to a store where the person is selling itr even if you may not be putting any itr on yourself you will exit that store smelling very nice smelling coming with a fragrance so in the like manner that even though a person may not be in, initially engaged in a in good works in good and he may not exhibit good qualities if he surrounds himself with people of good qualities if he surrounds himself with people of piety he will soon start exhibiting the same type of thing he will soon start doing the same actions as these people for example let's say that there's a friend who joins a friend group and whether they're going out to eat or going out to the park or anything they make it a point to make a stop at the masjid they make it a point that if they're leaving at 6:15 they can make it to 6:30 for asr let's just go to the masjid and then from there we can go somewhere else so him that person may himself not be habitual in visiting the masjid but simply by hanging out with these people by simply associating with these people who frequent the masjid then he will also see that in his life that even then later on when he's going out to get something from the store or he's out for some errands that he looks at the time and then he also makes an effort to go to the masjid even though those people are not necessarily there with him anymore the the impact of good company Another example is that if we see that a family member he or she wants to begin a good practice and they be decide that from now on I'm going to fast on Mondays and Thursdays and even though that person may not tell his or her family members to do likewise he's not forcing them to do anything but simply they just do it 
they wake up for sahur, they're not eating the whole day, they have iftar, then slowly, slowly, then other family members will also say, you know, if, if my mom is already doing sahur, then why not I just join her? So likewise, so even though that person first initially wasn't committed to do that act, but simply being in contact with a person with a good quality, with a good deed, he is also seeing that positive change in his life. And this is the secret that caused behind the success of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een, that even in the word Sahaba, there is this idea of suhba behind it. Sahaba comes from the Arabic word suhba, which means companionship. There are many terms you can be used to refer to the followers of the Prophet They could have been referred to as his followers, his students, his spiritual children, his disciples. But the term that was used to refer to the such people was sahaba, the people who were awarded with the companionship of the Prophet That when they spend time in the Prophet company, that there was a spiritual transfer that, that took place. And Allah Ta'ala honored them such in the Qur'an that He says that when describing the Prophet in Surah Al-Fatih, one of the only places, one of the few places where Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is addressed by his name. He says, Muhammadur Rasulullah, that Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, walladheena ma'ahu, that those with him, those who are awarded with the ma'iyya, the company of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and then it goes on to describe them. So the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, the way, the, the, who they are as we know today, it is only by that company that in the time that's spent with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And after the Prophet ﷺ departed from this world, then the students that the Sahaba ﷺ took, the people who we know as the Tabi'een, they spent time with the Sahaba ﷺ and they became the Tabi'een. And the people who spent time with the Tabi'een, they became the Atba'u Tabi'een. And so forth and so on, generation after generation, there's a spiritual transfer that is taking place until our very moment today, until our, t- our uh, day and age today, that we see that when we spend time with the Mashayikh, that when we spend time with the Ulama, that when we spend time with the people of righteousness and piety, and that, that light that enters our heart It's all just feeding from the spiritual energy Of the Prophet It's feeding from that nur of the Prophet Imagine how powerful the nur of Rasulullah That it has nourished the ummah For generations after generation For more than 1400 years And we should never look down upon the impact of even a few minutes of good suhbah because it can create astonishable results. It can, mean, it can create unimaginable results. And we know this through various stories that we know of Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, that before his acceptance of Islam, he was highly, highly antagonistic towards Islam. He was amongst those who was, who was the most against, advocated against Islam. But, and he knew, he had heard the Quran before. He had come into contact with the Messenger of Islam before. But we know that in the story that when he entered his sister's house, when he was in that company of his sister, his brother-in-law, and their teacher, Khabbab bin al-Arat radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een, that when he was in that contact, even for a few minutes, that spiritual energy transferred in his heart. And, the, and his, his chest began to expand, and he became more receptive to the call of Islam. And then he, as we know the story goes, that he accepted Islam thereafter.
Another example is that of a less common, a less known Sahabi radiallahu an by the name of Thumamat ibn Uthal. Thumamat ibn Uthal was a merchant. In our terms, we could call him even a business tycoon because he was in charge of the business of grains in Arabia. And he was a very influential figure. One day, when he was going out in his caravan, the Muslims intercepted his caravan and he, they took hold of Thumamat ibn Uthal. They captured him. And they brought him to Medina to, to Munawwara and they took him to the Prophet ﷺ masjid and they tied him on a pillar. The Prophet ﷺ approached him. And when the Prophet ﷺ approached him, Thumamat ibn Uthal said this. He said that if you decide to kill me, then there will be people who will avenge me most likely. I'm a very prominent figure in society. People will avenge me. So I don't care if you kill me. But if you let me go, then I'll be ever grateful and I'll be forever in, in gratitude towards this. The Prophet ﷺ said nothing and he turned away. He came the second day and the Prophet ﷺ approached the pillar again. And Thumamat ibn Uthal said the same thing. He said, if you decide to kill me, people will avenge me. And if you decide to let me go, I'll be forever grateful. The Prophet ﷺ said nothing and he turned away. Then a third time, he came the third day and Thumamat ibn Uthal said the same thing. But this time the Prophet ﷺ let him go. He released him and he let him go. Thumamat ibn Uthal then went home or went to a place. He gathered a few of his belongings. He performed the ghusl and he came to the Prophet ﷺ and professed his Islam. One would think that what happened? Just a, just a few moments ago he was, he was, on a, he was on a, tied to a pillar. What had changed? What had changed was that he came into the company of a good sahaba. He gained, he, he was in a company where he observed the sahaba radiallahu and engaged in salah. He saw that they were engaged in dua. He saw the way they dealt with one another. They saw, he saw the way they interacted with one another. And thereafter, just a few, three days of sahaba, a good sahaba, he decided to accept Islam. And it wasn't just any change that he said, oh, I think this is pretty nice, I'll just accept Islam. There was a transformative ex uh, change on this person because he says, as he professes his Islam, he says, Ya Muhammad, addressing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, ma kana ala al-ardi abghada ilayya min wajhik. Prior to this, there was not a face more detestable to me in my eyes than your face. فَقَدْ أَصْبَحَ وَجْهُكَ أَحَبَّ الْوَجُوهِ إِلَيَّ But now, your face has become the most beloved of faces to me. He says, وَاللَّهِ مَا كَانَ مِن دِينٍ أَبْغَضَ إِلَيَّ مِن دِينِكَ That there was not a single religion on the face of earth, the earth that I hated more than your religion. وَاللَّهِ فَقَدْ أَصْبَحَ الْيَوْمَ but now your religion has become the most beloved religion to me. So we see the impact of good company. But just how we know that good company can serve as an impetus for positive spiritual growth, the converse is true as well. That bad company can negatively impact the spiritual development of a person. And this is not something so far-fetched, not something so difficult for us to conceptualize, because it happens a lot. We, we, it's something which is a common observance to us. Whether it be we observe maybe our children, or our siblings, 
our nephew or nieces or friends, when they begin to associate with a certain group of people, when they begin to spend time more with a certain uh, group of friends, and they begin to exhibit bad qualities, when they exhibit behavior that is, goes against the tarbiyah that we give to our children, they begin to talk back to us, they begin to be rude, they begin to neglect in their uh, the adhkar and salah, we know that something happened here. We know that they're in contact with a person that is not, uh, that is not good. That is something that someone's having a bad influence, a negative influence on that person, on that child. So what do we do to mitigate that problem is that we separate that child from that group. We try to separate that friend from that from group. Right? Because it goes back to this concept of what Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala said, that he said that he compared a person, a bad friend, a bad company to what? to a blacksmith. Now obviously we don't have blacksmiths in our day and age today, so we may not understand this parable so much, but for another parable we can see, we can think about being around a smoker, a person who smokes cigarettes. Let's say you're driving by, you're on a road trip, and you stop at a Shell gas station or a 7-Eleven or something like that. You tell your family to stay in the car, you go inside. Nearby the door, there's a person who's smoking, and then he's smoking a lot, and then there's the smoke is everywhere. You go inside, you get your things, and you come back in the car. And then your family is saying, oh, you don't smell good. You smell, you smell really bad. Even though that person wasn't smoking in the first place, just being in that presence, being in that environment where there's smoke, surround, being surrounded by smoke, it still latched onto him. It still came upon him, and people could observe that change in his odor, his change in that, that lack of fragrance within him. So likewise, even though we may not be engaged in the evil acts of a certain people, even though we may not exhibit that same quality and that same behavior that they exhibit, but simply being in their presence, being in the presence of bad company, can still have neg negative results. For instance, let's say that you're at work or you're at college or at school, and you're surrounded by people who are very dunya motivated, that they just want to get rich. They want to have money. So they're now they're looking to get to, the, to get to a good job. They're trying to land a good job, have a high salary, and then, you know, they're trying to invest in stocks. They're trying to invest in this, and they're trying to get the, the greatest cars, the greatest homes. So even though you may not be thinking about these things initially, but simply being in their presence, you begin to start developing a dunyawi-oriented mindset as well. That, you know, why don't I also get this type of jacket or this type of clothes? Or why don't I also try to get this better car over here? Or why don't I also dabble with stocks and see where, I, where my luck uh, leads me to? So these are just little things that can occur that we see that they can, like they can change the mindset of a person entirely. But now let's go to an extreme example. That you, may, you, that you may say that it's not that bad, that even if I were to hang out with these people, that even if I was to hang out with people who aren't of the same faith as me, that at the end of the day, they believe in what they believe, and I believe in what I believe. You know, I believe in Islam, they may not believe in Islam, but that doesn't really matter. But it does matter. Because we know from the Qur'an that increased and prolonged negative exposure can lead to disastrous consequences, particularly in the hereafter. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, when describing the horrors of the Day of Judgment, where He says, وَيَوْمَ يَعُدُّ الظَّالِمُ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ يَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِ اتَّخَذْتُ مَعَ الرَّسُولِ سَبِيلًا 
He says, and beware of the day that the wrongdoer will bite his nails out of frustration, out of remorse, out of regret. He will say, Ya Rasuli Sabila. Oh, I wish I had followed the way along with the messenger. One may ask that why didn't he follow the way of the messenger? What caused him, what caused his downfall? So he says thereafter, Ya lam that oh woe to me. I wish I had never taken so and so as a friend. Why would he say that? Because he says, That indeed he led me astray from the reminder. He led me astray from the straight path after he had reached me. So we see that a person could have been receptive to the call of Islam, that he was, or maybe he was in the fall of Islam, but simply being around people who are deviant, who didn't believe in Islam, who put doubts in his mind, who questioned his faith, that it would eventually lead to his downfall in the hereafter as well. May Allah protect us all. And if you think that we're powerful enough, that we have strong faith, that we've been Muslim for so long, nothing anyone says can affect us, then that is a wrong assumption. Because everything lies in the control of Allah Ta'ala, and it is not something that is so easily to overcome as even the Anbiya would make dua, would make a supplication to protect themselves from that company. It is recorded in this, continuing on with this book, that Ibn Abi Mulaika and others narrated that Luqman السلام, used to say, Allahumma la taj'al ashabi al-ghafirin Alladheena idha dhakartuka lam yu'inunani Wa idha nasituka lam yathkuruni Wa idha amartu lam yuti'uni Wa in samadtu ahzanuni Luqman alayhi salam would make the dua Oh Allah, do not appoint the heedless as my companions Do not appoint the heedless as my companions People who accompany him frequently Why? or the, uh, describing them, those who do not assist me when I remember you, who do not remind me when I forget you, who do not obey me when I instruct them, and who trouble me when I am silent. And then after that, it says that Ubaid ibn Umayr said that it reached him that the Prophet Dawood another example of one of the Anbiya making a dua, he says, Allahumma la taj'alli ahla su'in fa'akuna rajula su'in. That he said that, O oh Allah, do not appoint for me evil people, lest I become a man of evil. So now, where does this lead us? Where does this bring us to? And how can we bring this to our lives? Well, we know two things. We know that in this month of Ramadan, we wish to be better ourselves. We wish to advance in our spirituality. We wish to inculcate taqwa within ourselves and thereby fulfilling the fundamental objective and purpose of Ramadan. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ After mentioning the injunction of Psalm, He says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may inculcate taqwa within yourself. So that's the first thing we know. The second thing we know and we have established so far is that the company we keep can, have a can serve as a dynamic and powerful force in changing behavior and spiritually cultivating and transforming an individual. As we see that good company can cause positive results and bad company can lead to negative results. So now tying this back to the month of Ramadan, 
The, now, the, beauty, but the beauty of our deen is that whenever Allah Ta'ala sets out a goal, He doesn't just leave you to figure it out on your own. But rather, He provides a solution so that you may to facilitate your attainment of that goal. And when it comes to the month of Ramadan and fulfilling the obje objective of taqwa, Allah Ta'ala has provided the solution, the game plan, the strategy to obtain taqwa. Obviously, it's with psalm, but another way we can do it is also the annual practice of i'tikaf. The annual practice of staying at the masjid for the last 10 nights of Ramadan and being in this company of the righteous and in the, in the masjid and the house of Allah Ta'ala. And just going back and reiterating the, point, reiterating the points that we've mentioned before, that when we're in this environment of the masjid, that when we're surrounded with people who are concerned of the akhirah, that they're, they're not spending their time talking about the dunya, they're not talking about the latest uh, things related to work, they're not talking about politics, they're not talking about the economy, they're not talking about the latest trends or whatever happened in work, whatever happened in home, they're, they're concerned about the akhirah. They're concerned about their spiritual rectification. They're concerned about their spiritual growth and progress. And you see that even though a person may not be habitual in these in things and in, in acts of worship, but simply being in the environment of the masjid, being in, in, the, in, in the environment where you see that people are observing long hours of salah, that they're making long hours of dua, that they're reading Qur'an and they're trying to finish khatam after khatam. They're serving one another. They're helping one another. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, In describing the believers, He says that they help one another in the attainment of birr, of righteousness and taqwa. They do not help and assist one another in sin and acts of aggression. In another place in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says when describing the believers, they enjoin truth amongst themselves and they enjoin patience amongst themselves. So that we see that there is a constant focus and centrality to the idea of helping one another. And we see that this occurs in the 10 nights of Ramadan in I'tikaf, that even though you may not be engaged in those worship, acts of worship, simply being in an environment where you're surrounded by people of worship, people of righteousness, that you will also see a transformative experience, have a transformative experience in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. So, and such, it will inshallah transfer on to the rest of the months as well. Now, a common complaint that we hear is that I don't have the last 10 nights off. I don't have, I have work, I have school, I have college, I can't take the last 10 nights off. So it goes back to the idea that firstly, even though you may not have the full 10 day off, then at least you have the weekends off. That even though you can't spend the entire 10 nights, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't have to spend i'tikaf at all. There's still a concept of nafal i'tikaf, where a person can still go to the masjid and spend and reside the night at the masjid with the niyyah of i'tikaf, and thereafter he can also leave that. That is called a nafal i'tikaf. So, even, so whatever the weekend or whatever time we have off in these last 10 nights of Ramadan that are approaching us soon, then let's take out time to visit the masjid. But let's say even then, they said, no, I can't do it, I can't go, and I can't spend the night there, I have parental restrictions, or I have responsibilities, I have duties, I can't spend the last nine nights there. So now, it goes back to what we discussed in the beginning of Abu Musa al-Ashari radiallahu statement. Because he said, جَرِيسُ الصَّدَقِ خَيْرٌ مِنَ الْوَحْدَةِ وَالْوَحْدَةُ خَيْرٌ مِنْ جَرِيسِ السُّوءِ 
Having a truthful companion is better than being alone, but being alone is better than having an evil companion. So the two options that we have present before us is either we maximize on good company, and we've already discussed that about being in i'tikaf, but let's say you can't be in i'tikaf, you don't have the opportunity or you, don't, you can't avail that opportunity, then the next solution that we can have that is presented before ourselves is minimizing our bad company, right? That when we're at work, that when we're at work, we minimize our time spending time with people who are not engaged in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. That as soon as we finish work, we try to head immediately home. If we're at college, we don't linger around for conversations and wasting time. But rather, as soon as we finish our classes, we try to head home and to the work. When, as soon as we fulfill our house chores, our house obligations, we find ourselves a private place in the home and we seclude ourselves. Right? So even though the person may not be doing this, that we need to minimize our time with bad company. And obviously one of the worst forms of company is something that stays with us for the duration of the day, 24 hours a day, is our phones. That they stay within us. They are the true sahib al-jam. They're the true neighbor of us. That they remain with us. And it also it is also an, a form of bad company because of the distractions that are found within the, within the cellular devices. So now... If we want to make a positive, if we want to see a positive growth and a positive development in ourselves, and I, I, I hope and I, and I know that each one of us aspire to be a better Muslim, a better person, a better believer in this month of Ramadan, and especially in these last nights, we will either try to maximize our good company or minimize our bad company, turning off the cell phone, turning off our laptops, and trying to solely focus on our relationship with Allah Ta'ala, and trying to develop a personal connection with him. And with this, inshallah, we hope that it, we, have we obtain the spiritual energy and this nur from Allah Ta'ala, and it accompanies us throughout the rest of the year and in the upcoming months. So may Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to act upon what has been said. May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to have good company and let us be, serve as an impetus for us to have positive spiritual growth within ourselves and make this Ramadan a truly transformative experience. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll spend a few minutes doing dhikr. Inshallah, we can spend a few moments to clear our minds of the dunya, to clear our minds of any worldly attachments, and solely focus on Allah Ta'ala and His Azma and His greatness. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. اللهم صل وسلم دائما ابدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم والحبيب الذي ترجى شفاعته لكل هول من الاهوال مقتحم لا اله الا الله لا اله الا الله لا اله الا الله لا اله الا الله 
Astaghfirullah 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 <laughs> اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله وإليك يرجع الأمر كله على نيته وسره اللهم لا نحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك اللهم صلي وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كما لا نهاية لكمالك وعدد كماله اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم يا الله يا الله يا الله يا حي يا قيوم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا إلهنا وإله كل شيء إله واحد لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين ربنا إنا ظلمنا أنفسنا ظلما كثيرا ولا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت فاغفر لنا مغفرة من عندك ورحمنا إنك أنت الغفور الرحيم اللهم آتي نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها اللهم اجعل أحب اللهم اجعل حبك أحب الأشياء إلينا واجعل خشيتك أخوف الأشياء عندنا اللهم إنا نسألك حبك وحب من يحبك وحب عمل يقربنا حبك اللهم إنا نسألك رضاك والجنة وما قرب إليها من قول أو عمل ونعوذ بك من سخطك ومن النار وما قرب إليها من قول أو عمل اللهم إني أعوذ بك من زوال نعمتك اللهم إني أعوذ بك من زوال نعمتك اللهم إني أعوذ بك من زوال نعمتك ودحول عافيتك وفجاءة نقمتك وجميع سخطك ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار وقنا عذاب القبر وقنا عذاب الحشر وقنا عذاب الميزان يا رب العالمين أو الله we thank you, Ya Allah, for everything you have given us. We show immense gratitude to all the ni'mas and blessings and favors you have conferred upon us, that you have given us from the moment that we have been born, from this very moment today, and you continue to do so on a daily basis. Ya Allah, you have given us everything. You have given us things we've asked for and things we have not even asked for. Ya Allah, the greatest gift you have given us is the gift of Iman. 
And Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to keep us firm in this Iman, to not remove this ni'mah of Iman from ourselves, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we turn to you in submission. We turn to you with our hands before you and we, before ourselves, and we submit ourselves to you. We acknowledge our sins. We acknowledge our sins, and we acknowledge the fact that we have not worshipped you as you're, as you're worthy of being worshipped. We have not praised you as you're worthy of being praised. We have not shown you gratitude as you're worthy of being shown gratitude. Ya Allah, we come to you on this night, on this day. We come to you with our sins, with, our, with the, so many sins of ourselves, and we have very little amal. Ya Allah, our amal are few, and our sins are many. And we present ourselves towards you, and we beseech you and beseech, and we call upon your mercy and your forgiveness that you envelop us in your mercy, that you surround us with your mercy, that you grant us forgiveness, and you grant us emancipation from the punishment of the hellfire. Ya Allah, we have not worshipped you as you're worthy of being worshipped in this holy month of Ramadan. So whatever month, whatever days are remaining in this month of Ramadan, we ask you, Ya Allah, to grant us tawfiq, to engage in worship, to engage in dua, to engage in tawbah, to engage in istighfar, to engage in dhikr, to engage in tilawat al-Qur'an, and to engage in prolonged sujood and submitting ourselves before you. We acknowledge our sins and we ask for you for, for your forgiveness. We are weak, Ya Allah. We are weak. You are weak slaves, Ya Allah. Please do not, please do not leave us, Ya Allah. Please do not punish us, Ya Allah. We ask you, Ya Allah, to envelop us in, envelop us in your mercy, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon the believers. Have mercy upon the believers all across the world. Please have mercy upon our parents and our teachers and our mashayikh and our friends and our extended family, Ya Allah. Have mercy upon us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. And grant us tawfiq to develop a personal and intimate relationship and a connection with you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, you are our only desire, Ya Allah. We are living in this life as travelers, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Our destination is to you, Ya Allah. Our goal is to be with you, Ya Allah. Our goal is to develop a relationship with you, Ya Allah. So we ask you, Ya Allah, to please don't turn us back, Ya Rabbil Alameen. We come to you, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Please do not turn us back, Ya Rabbil Alameen, empty-handed, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, make us be among those who are guided to the straight path. The, guide, the path of you described of those whom you have favored, Ya Rabbil Alameen. The path of the Anbiya, the path of the Shuhada, the path of the Ulama, of the Siddiqeen, Shuhada, and Salihin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to make us die with this kalima on our tongues, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Make the last utterance in this life of the dunya, Ya Rabbil Alameen, be the proclamation of faith of La ilaha illallah. Make us depart with this kalima on our tongues and may us be renewed reunited with you, Ya Rabbil Alameen and Jannatul Al-Fardos, and be reunited with our beloved Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the highest abodes of Jannatul Al-Fardos. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallahumma bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Inshallah, the brothers can proceed to the hall, inshallah, for iftar. And a humble reminder to be engaged in dhikr and dua throughout the time until the adhan is being called, inshallah.